for our sermon this morning entitled, The Resurrection and the Life. John 11. I'm going to, uh, in this passage, um, exposit a number of verses, but I'm just going to read one of them to you to begin. That's verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. This morning, I preach as a dying man to dying men. I say that because all of us are mortal. In our country, we've lived with a pandemic, and it is a pronounced example of human mortality. At this point, the last count I saw, 550,000 of our fellow countrymen have died from COVID-19. I heard that there are 1,000 people dying per day. And in the last two weeks, we're all aware, 18 people were senselessly murdered in Atlanta, Georgia, and Boulder, Colorado. Disease and mass murder are not the ultimate causes of death. Scripture is quite clear about this. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Sin opened the door for death to enter the human family. Our mortality, therefore, is a spiritual problem. The root of death is spiritual. It is tied directly to man's disobedience to his creator. In the record of the death and raising of Lazarus, back to life by the Lord Jesus Christ, the solution to the problem that plagues the human race, death, is vividly shown to be resolved by him. Now, th this solution is personal. It matters to all of us because all of us face the inevitability of personal demise. There's no one on the planet of seven billion people who are unaware of this. The only exceptions to death historically recorded in the Old Testament are two individuals, Enoch and Elijah. Uh, there's a future group of uh, people who will not experience death either. Uh, those are people who will be alive at uh, the rapture of the church when Christ descends from heaven and takes those who are alive home to be with himself. The exceptions prove the rule. The fact that everybody dies indicates, yes, sin's a problem, and yes, all are going to die. In fact, every generation is a one-to-one -one correspondence. The solution to our problem with death in all its forms is a person. And this person tells us, that he is indeed the solution. I, I read the text, verse 25, a moment ago, uh, that indicates that he is the answer. Let's look then at 
what he says about himself, the pronouncement about himself. We're going to look beginning at um, these verses. I guess verse 17 is where we start. Lazarus had died. Lazarus had died. He'd been in a tomb four days, verse 17 tells us. Today, if we were writing Lazarus's obituary, <laughs> we may include this phraseology. He left behind to mourn his passing two siblings, Martha and Mary, both of the home. Also many friends among whom was Jesus of Nazareth, who fellowshiped with him and his sisters in the home that they shared in Bethany of Judea. Bethany, a small town not far from Jerusalem. Jesus often was there with them. He was their friend. But Jesus arrived on the fourth day of Lazarus' death. Martha met him. Verse 21, she says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This statement here by Martha is not a rebuke. It's just expressing a sorrow. But also here is an implicit faith in Jesus' ability to have healed her brother. She is saying, I believe if you had shown up before he died, he wouldn't have died because you could have exercised your supernatural power and prevented his death. Then she says in verse 22, even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Now, do understand, these words do not suggest by any means that Martha believed that Jesus was going to raise her brother from the dead. No, she didn't think that at all. She didn't contemplate that. That wasn't in her thinking at all. You say, well, how do you know that? Can you read her mind? Sort of. Because the Bible gives us information here. In verse 39 of this passage, you'll notice what it says. Jesus said, remove the stone. Jesus is getting ready to raise Lazarus. She still doesn't get it. Martha, the sister of the sea, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench. For he's been dead four days. You do know how this works. Four days, there is decompensation. Now, I'm going to tell you uh, what this tells us is that if she thought that Jesus was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, she wouldn't have been worried about the decay of the body and the effect thereof. So she wasn't thinking that he was going to raise him from the dead. But you notice something. Verse 22, back there, she then says to our Lord, even now, I know that whatever you ask of God will give you. Now, these words, even now, uh, I, I agree with uh, people like uh, Leon Morris, who says, these words may be more logical than temporal. And they're temporal in this sense. Whatever you ask, God will give you. You ask and maybe some good will come out of this. Now, in addition to 
verse 39, which we just looked at a moment ago, and these words we know she wasn't expecting it. But further, uh, resurrection, but further we know from the ensuing dialogue that she is not expecting her brother to be raised from the dead. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, uh, your brother will rise again. Now, let me tell you, we know because we read the story. We know the outcome. We know that Jesus meant, I'm going to raise him today. That's what he meant. That's what he's intimating. Immediately, that was his plan. Martha, verse 24, picks up on what our Lord says about resurrection. In verse 24, she says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now, let me tell you something about Martha. This lady was well-versed in Old Testament theology. She understood eschatology, as a matter of fact, as well, the, the doctrine of last things. She knew that God had promised to raise the saints from the dead on the last day. Martha understood that. That, that was clear in her thinking. She knew there was a, an event out there when this would occur because God had declared it. One of the texts in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, for example. So her words were correct words, but she really didn't uh, understand what was going on here. But this afforded our Lord an opportunity to give her and to give us a revelation about himself. He is going to pronounce a truth about himself. Verse 25, the A portion. He said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. With this profound spiritual pronouncement about himself, Jesus turns Martha's mind away from a future event out there that's going to happen and helped her to understand that right now he is the resurrection and life and that those things are in a person. It's a person. It's not just simply an event. In fact, without him, there is no event. Without Christ, there is no resurrection. There is no life. The event has to have a person behind it, and none other than Jesus Christ is the person behind the event. That's why it says, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, what you know from Old Testament theology, what you know from eschatology in the Old Testament, do understand I am the person who will bring it all about. It is he who has the power over death. Why is this? Why is he able to do this? How can he make such a claim? Well, the claim's answer is right there in his saying. He says, I am. I am is the fifth of seven I am statements in John's gospel, which highlights the unabridged deity of Jesus Christ. In fact, John opens his gospel, John 1, 1, with an expression of the full deity of Christ, the word, the logos. So when Jesus says, I am, and he says it a number of times in John's gospel as, as John expounds and exposits the deity of Jesus Christ. He is asserting that he has the divine prerogatives and rights of deity. 
Only God. Think about this. Only God can raise the dead. Only God can grant eternal life. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Those things are not in the domain of mortals. No mere mortal can do that. Every doctor eventually has to say, I'm sorry, but he's dead. They have to sign a death certificate. That's the end of the road for them. They can only do so much. But there comes a time when death comes and that's it. That's not so with God. Interestingly, the words resurrection and life in both English and in Greek have the definite article before each of the words resurrection and life. I believe it signifies that Jesus said, I personally grant these things, resurrection and life. It's what I do because I am God in human flesh. I have life in myself. Remember John 1, 4, in him was life. deity. John chapter 5, the Father granted him to have life in himself. That grant as the incarnate Son in submission to the Father as a man, he had life. He had the authority from the Father to grant life to people, physical and eternal. Pronouncement about himself and then there's a promise of eternal life, promise of eternal life. Look, look, look at verse 25, the part. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. First, let's unpack it like this. He who believes in me. You see that word belief? That's imperative for us to understand. Belief is critical. The only beneficiaries of the resurrection and the life are those who repose their faith in Christ alone. There must be personal trust in Christ. There is no resurrection. There is no life apart from faith in him. That's what he is saying. You've got to trust me. And notice verse, we'll live even if he dies. We'll live even if he dies. <laughs> it's a paradox. The paradox of the statement brings out the truth that physical death is not the main thing, but rather the life that Jesus gives. Physical death is not the main thing. That is not the main worry. People talk about death, the grim reaper. They'll have all kinds of ways to describe it. They're fearful of it. But for believers, that's not the main thing. Say, but we die, don't we? Christians die just like everybody else. Yes, they do. Christians experience physical death because they live in a fallen world, in a fallen body. Our bodies are mortal. They are perishable. One day we're going to put on immortality and we're going to put on immortality the imperishable, but until that day, we die. That's why I opened this little message by saying, I 
preached to you as a dying man to dying men. Because we're all dying. Understand that. I heard someone say last night on television uh, about, the, uh, about people who have died said the ravages of time, quote unquote. I'm saying, yes, time has something to do with it because in time we are dying. <laughs> By the way, death for the human race is a divine decree. God decreed it. He said you're going to die. Remember he told Adam that. Further, another thing, while I'm on this, death is not natural to man. In the original creation, God didn't create man to die. It's because he sinned. That's why we do. But to understand this about believers, uh, our physical death is qualitatively different from the physical death of unbelievers. For Christians, their physical death ushers them instantly into the immediate presence of their Savior. For unbelievers, it means instant arrival in a place of unrelieved torment. Qualitatively, there is a profound difference, uh, difference that's eternal in character. Now, what does Jesus mean by the life? I think I've referred to it. I'll s just be explicit here. The life refers to eternal life. That's what he's talking about, eternal life. Eternal life. In verse 26, the eighth portion, he expands on this. See it there. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Will never die. This is a promise of eternal preservation. This is a promise of in unending eternal life. Now, the strength of the promise that Jesus makes here, will never die, is revealed in the Greek grammar. Now, bear with me just briefly. There's a, a double negative used in the Greek. It's the strongest negation that the Greek language provides. The, the negation also is coupled with the Greek idea of the lack of potential, potentiality. In other words, Jesus here is saying, you will never die. I strongly negate that, but also even the potential that you could die. Eternal life is yours. It is secure. You will never die. Let me just put it like this. It can be rendered this way, what Jesus says in this verse. Will not ever in no way die into the ages. Wow, that, that gets it across, I think. It's not the smoothest English by any means, but you get the point, do you not? Will not ever in no way die into the ages. In other words, the believer will live forever. Guess what Jesus says here. Genuine believers in Christ will never, ever experience eternal death or the second death, as it's called in Revelation 2015. The lake of fire. That place, horrible place of eternal separation, eternal punishment of those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus, um, 
assured his hearers of these truths earlier. John records it in John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 24. We're going to take a little, a little trip through this verse and draw out some truths here for us to hang our thoughts on and meditate on. Jesus says here in verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word. Let's stop there. Hearing Jesus' word is identical to hearing the Father's word. Faith placed in the Son is faith placed in the Father. Now, let me expand what he means by hearing. Hearing here does not mean a simple auditory experience. You know what it's like. You can hear a lot of stuff, can't you? You can hear things and it doesn't do anything. It doesn't move you. You have no interest in it. You can ignore it, whatever. The hearing here is not that kind of hearing. The hearing here, it is belief and obedience. We know that's what Jesus means from his words in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Remember the two builders? In Matthew 7, 24 and 27, uh, one was wise and one was foolish. Jesus likened the wise person to the man who listens to his words and acts on it and builds his house on a foundation. He puts into practice Jesus' words. There is obedience. The other man is foolish. He hears Jesus' words, but he doesn't act upon them. He doesn't put them into practice. He builds his house uh, on sand. Both heard the words of Jesus, but they had radically different responses to him. It's very important to understand. It's not enough just simply to hear what the Word of God says. There has to be obedience it's coupled with belief. Jesus says in 8.51 of John's Gospel, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. It's a profound statement. See the connection? A person who keeps his word will never see death. What, what are you saying? Because you've been transformed by the grace of God. You've received Christ and you obey him. Now, in John 5, 24, we're still there. As we continue to unpack it, the next clause, and believes him who sent me. That's what I was saying about hearing Jesus' words, hearing the Father's words. This person has eternal life, eternal life which is a present reality. At the moment of the new birth, Christians pass into eternal life or possess eternal life. Next thing does not come into judgment. Acquitted. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no future judgment at, at 
the tribunal of God's judgment. Uh, there, no Christian has to worry about judgment day in terms of condemnation. Rest of the verse, more in the verse says, but has passed out of death into life. Out of spiritual death, alienation from God. By the way, every person born in the world is alienated from God. From the moment they come into the world, in fact, the moment of conception, they are alienated from God. Because of their sin, our sin. Only one person ever born who wasn't, that's Jesus Christ. But the text says, hear it, but has passed out of death into life, eternal life. Now, think about this word. Metabano is the uh, base word or nominative here, past. It means passing from one place to another. And it's in the perfect tense. It's a completed state. It speaks of spiritual resurrection. Yes, there's a physical resurrection of the body for believers, but there's also spiritual resurrection. The moment you were saved, you were raised from spiritual death to spiritual life. Ephesians 2.6, we've been raised up together with him. Remember that text? Now, we passed from one place to another. By his death on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ has purchased for us a one-way ticket from a place called spiritual death to a place called eternal life. Somebody said, well, why is it a one-way ticket? Because there are no return flights. It's eternal. That's the truth that Jesus teaches now, back in our text, uh, uh, John 11, Jesus has been talking to Martha, as you recall, about who he is. And at the bottom of verse 26, he says to her, do you believe this? He is saying to Martha, do you believe that I am the source of resurrection and eternal life? The word this just simply means believe in him. That's what he asked. The response from Martha is a profession of faith. She affirms her faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 27 Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Wow. Her confession of faith is on a par with that of the Apostle Peter. Remember Caesarea Philippi? Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter, Matthew 16, 16, opened his mouth, and God used him to say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's what Martha does. He says, you are the Christ, you are Messiah, you are the anointed one, you are the son of God, a title for deity. And notice, Jesus never corrected her. He didn't say, ah, 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 Martha, you've gone too far when you talk about me being the son of God. 
For in fact, it's the truth that Jesus himself taught. You recall in John chapter 5, verses 17 through 29, he made himself equal with the Father, which he was, which he is. And his enemies, they recognized it. Martha goes on to say, he who comes, even he who comes into the world, the long-awaited deliverer who will execute the will of God perfectly. Martha believed in him. Her faith is firm. <laughs> Boy, she doesn't know what she's about to see. A power display. We'll find verse 40. What verse 40? John 11. They're there. Remember in verse 39, she was worried about the, the smell. And Jesus said, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Underline that glory of God. Underline that. Not on paper in your mind. Let me tell you something just briefly about the glory of God. The glory of God is the reason for everything in the created order. In fact, the glory of God is the theme of the universe. It's the theme of existence. It'll be the theme of eternity, the glory of God. All this transpiring is for his glory. Ultimately, he is going to be glorified. That's the point. You wonder, what's the point of life? That's it. The problem with many people is they think the point of life is them. They miss the point. It's not about you. You benefit if you're a Christian gloriously, but it's about the glory of God. If you don't get that straight, you'll never understand life at all. You'll see the glory of God. How is she going to see the glory of God? She's going to see it displayed <laughs> in what's about to occur. Let's drop down to verse 43. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now, first, he cried out with a loud voice. He, he didn't do that because Lazarus, dead, needed to have extra volume to be able to hear. <laughs> that, that was the point. It's not like dead people are, you know, their hearing is not quite like those who are living. <laughs> no, no, it's not that at all. You understand that. Jesus wanted everybody to hear him. He wanted them to hear the words, Lazarus, come forth. I'm going to tell you, not a person there missed that when he cried out with a loud voice. Leon Morris the commentator says this in translating the Greek. He's, he does it this way. Lazarus, here, outside. What a, a profound command. Lazarus, here, outside. I know you think, uh, how is it that he can say to a dead man, give him a command, and how can a dead man who can't hear, who is dead, respond? Simple. 
The command comes with this power so the dead man can respond. It's no big deal, really. And I say that reverently. The reason I say that, after all, when Jesus was there in Genesis, remember Genesis 1, uh, it says, in the beginning, God, we know from later revelation, all three persons of the Trinity there. Guess who was speaking? The Logos. He spoke it into existence. What's the big deal? Speaking to a dead thing that he created and bringing it to life. You know what's fascinating? There were people there who saw that miracle and they did not believe. In fact, they went and told the Pharisees what was going on or what had happened. In fact, this miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead contributed directly to Jesus' crucifixion. You see, that just boggles the mind. It does. Look, verse 53, it says this, So from that day on they planned together to kill him. You want to know something about the depravity of human beings? Someone who can conquer death, then you say, oh, we've got to get rid of him. But this was written so that people who weren't there, like us, can read the account or hear it taught in John 20, verses 30 and 31. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. He is. Everything he said he is. Go back to this. He told Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. A few minutes later, what did he do? He proved it. Anybody can talk a good game. But when you walk up to a dead corpse, four days dead, and say, Lazarus, come forth. Yeah, you are the resurrection and the life. The proof, as I say, is in the pudding. Now, what does it say for us? <laughs> it means that when he says, you believe in me, you have eternal life, we do. It means that when he says, you're going to be raised from the dead, your body and your soul will be reunited and you will be with me forever, it'll happen. He's demonstrated his power to accomplish it in this great miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. And once a year, we especially celebrate it. He says, I lay my life down, and I have power to take it up again. He is the resurrection and the life. Let's bow together in prayer. We thank you, our Father, for the word of God. 
We thank you for Jesus Christ, the saving power, the blessing of salvation that comes for all to all who believe. Strengthen us today from what we've heard as we meditate on these truths later. So our minds are refreshed about them. Deepen our conviction about these things, about Christ and about eternal life, about his victory over death. We pray for those who are here who are not believers. That you open their hearts that they may believe and be saved. We pray you do it all for the singular purpose of your glory. And we pray it in the name of Christ. Amen.